Hey everybody, it's Joe from the Spot of Joe Show. Just letting you know I'm changing the name to Passion Unchained. Just wanted to give you a little warning for that. Reason is, on YouTube, um, the SEO sucked for the Spot of Joe Show. My channel wouldn't even pop up, so I changed it to Passion Unchained. Everything else is the same. What I stand for here is to help people live a life they enjoy passionately. I think life It's a core belief of mine that life is not just meant to be survived, it's meant to be lived and enjoyed, and enjoyed passionately. And I hope to help people through my own journey, and through talking to cool people like you hear on this podcast, I am really excited to get a lot of interesting people on who have passionate lives. That's one thing I look for in my guests, and do cool things. So without further ado, here is today's episode. How's it going? I am here at Whole Foods recording a bunch of intros for my podcast that I hadn't really given an intro before, but I decided that these people are so amazing that I wanted to share exactly why I want you to listen to them and why I recorded them specifically. Um, This episode is an interview with my good friend, Dennis Mortensen. I met his PR agent a while ago at the first annual Propeller Festival. Back then it was called Propellify in Hoboken, New Jersey for entrepreneurs. Gary Vee was going to speak. And there are two stages, and I actually chose not to see Gary Vee. I chose to see this guy talking about AI and how AI is an opportunity to help us with, with life. And I actually talk about AI with my, uh, with my most recent interviewee as well, uh, Joseph Zachary Fields. That's episode number 22. You should check that one out. Um, they both have very different, drastically different views on AI. And one thing I loved about Dennis Mortensen is I actually interviewed him once at his office in New York City on Broadway Street. I went up. I was really intimidated. He's the CEO of a tech company, but he was one of the most friendly people I've ever met. Uh, really humble, really friendly, really, really passionate. I wrote a lot of articles about him a while ago on the website, the Renaissance Man Network. That's the renmannet.work. The renmannet.work. It's going to be in the intro, too, after I do this little intro. Um, and I wanted to get him on because he talks a lot about some core, uh, core skills when it comes to living passionately and living freely including integrating your life. We talk a lot about this in this interview as well. Uh, Not just integrating your life, but also knowing why you want to do something and doing it because you want to. Doing it because you feel it's necessary to do. That, those are some of the things that I talk about with Dennis Mortensen, and as successful as he is, and as controlled and calm as he is, I think he's one of the most passionate people I've ever met. And I really wanted to get him on here to help you uh, understand some of the core, core, uh, values and 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 mindsets of living a passionate life. This guy is a master at it. Without further ado, here's a four-minute intro, uh, generic intro I put in front of all my episodes so you understand what the whole channel's about um, after the specific intro, after which I'm going to go directly into my interview with uh, the CEO of Extra AI, Dennis Mortensen. Hi, how's it going? You're listening to the Renaissance Man Podcast. Joe Bookoff, part of the Spot of Gen Network of Passion Projects. I have on the phone a guy who's really, really charismatic, actually. And, and the funny thing was, last time we spoke, he was telling me about the myth of charisma. And uh, you'll see the article on that in the description that I wrote about that, uh, that interaction with this guy. His name is Dennis Mortensen. He is the CEO of a tech startup in New York City, uh, which is based on 
cutting edge AI technology. Fascinating, dude. I also believe you are a professor of um, of entrepreneurship. Could you remind me which university that was? University of British Columbia. I am originally Danish, though, and uh, that will be the accent for the uh, remainder of the uh, 30 minutes of this podcast. Perfect, perfect. It's definitely an interesting accent. Uh, when did you come to the U.S.? I'm sorry if I'm repeating questions from last time. It was a while ago. No, this is all good. So in my prior, prior venture, which we did out of Budapest, so I spent four years in Eastern Europe. We ended up being acquired by Yahoo, and uh, part of the acquisition terms were that I moved to New York, uh, another one of the folks moved to Los Angeles and one moved to Sunnyvale and the reign of the team stayed in uh, Budapest. So that was huh. exactly 10 years ago. We sold to Yahoo in May of 2008. So and, they, they specified and, where you each would move? Yeah. So given we set up shop in a place for where they didn't have a team, they certainly wanted to make sure that we integrated the technology and they felt the best way mm. to make sure that that happened was that if you sign off on this, you must move. But then again, being forced to move to New York is not the end of the world. The funny thing though <laughs> is that I pitched very hard to move to the Valley, given tech mm -hmm. and startup and all of that good stuff. But it was just too much of a distance, right? Because you got nine mm -hmm. hours between the Valley and... Uh, Budapest. So they thought, we'll put you in the middle and then you can uh -huh. come out later. And that was 10 years ago. And I'm okay. probably never moving. You like it. You like <laughs> it so much. It's, it's very hard to not like, right? As in you have mm -hmm. to almost make an effort to dislike it. Of course, it kind of hinges on the idea that you like the city setting to begin with. But if you like that, then uh, New York is an awesome place to be. And even more so now, right? For where there's a little bit less of a tech feel to it 10 years ago, but certainly way more of a tech feel to it today. Oh, and there's yeah. not really any reason to move out West if you need funding or talent or any other dimension you're trying to optimize on. Oh, yeah. They got the Google secondary headquarters over there, Microsoft and Apple flagship stores. I know a lot of interesting hackathons that are in New York City, um, not just the NYU ones, but... Their wear hacks was over there when they were big, and then there was a, one called Stupid Hacks, which was hilarious. <laughs> oh man, we we had a um a project where you could uh, you could take um photos, turn them into ASCII art, and print them on toilet paper. It was stupid. <laughs> that, that sounds uh, edgy, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, well, the whole point of it it was stupid hacks. Um, anyway, so so I want to hear a little bit more about your your venture and then we'll talk about your new venture but um i don't think i, I knew what you were working on before what was that so i can uh, spare you the uh, three-hour seminar but i can rewind just a little bit so right out of college we started a analytics company mostly based on the log files that you can extract really from any web server this was way before it was just normal to go add Google Analytics to your website because it didn't even exist. As in, most people didn't have any analytics on any of their kind of web settings. So we mm -hmm. did that for a good four and a half years, ended up being acquired in April of 2000. So 
Okay. I ended up on the right side of that dot-com boom. And then thereafter, we uh, did a venture which was in Budapest that did, again, enterprise analytics, but through you adding a JavaScript slash pixel to your website, which certainly mm -hmm. made for a whole lot easier install, right? And anybody running anything on the internet in this day and age will have some sort of tracking in place. And we did just that. And actually started around the same time as Urchin and others. And uh, they ended up being acquired by Google. We ended up being acquired by Yahoo. And then thereafter, and that was in 2008, we did a predictive analytics venture for media. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out what stories to carry, say on the homepage of CNN, exactly where, for how long, and once you kill it, what other story do you put in its place? Mm -hmm. And did that out of New York. And that ended up being acquired in 2013. And since mm -hmm. then, me and my uh, propeller head friends have been working on X.AI and getting this set of intelligent agents to kind of schedule meetings on your behalf so you don't have to. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I was talking to Stephanie and she had CC'd uh, Andrew at X.AI. And I know exactly what Andrew is. And so I thought that was very poetic. Um, and I remember us having a short little... Uh, email quip about how poetic that was uh, but for the listeners I'm not sure they know how poetic that was um, and um, I'm curious if you could explain that to them absolutely so if I asked you or really anybody listening to this what their five favorite apps would be it doesn't mean that they could immediately come up with a top five but they can just open up their phone and say these are the five that I certainly like and that would be in my top five or ten However, if I ask them, tell me your five favorite intelligent agents, fully autonomous agents that are doing work that you would otherwise have to do, they would have an empty list or perhaps one that I've seen a friend use but not really have much exposure to it. Or really, the most exposure they've had to any of this is asking Siri to kind of set their alarm or what mm -hmm. the weather is on their Alexa. This agent that we've built, which goes under the name Amy Ingram or Andrew Ingram, is an agent that doesn't exist as a piece of software or something you install or a website. It is just an email. So that means you email me saying, hey, Dennis, I'm going to be in Manhattan in December. Do you got time to meet up for a Diet Coke? And we all have that email in our inbox. And there's a thousand kind of incarnations of it. But as I receive that email, the only way really to solve that little puzzle is that you reply back and then that email ping pong starts, right? I say, sure, when are you going to be here? You say, mm -hmm. week of December 10th. I say, sure, can we do Monday afternoon? You say, sure, but it needs to be after four. I say, that's fine. Let's do 4.30 at my office. That's cool, Dennis. Can you send an invite? And then I send an invite. And it's not that this is difficult. It's just yet another chore for where... Me setting up the date, time, and location and crafting the invite is something I've done 10,000 times, but it's not mm -hmm. fun. Meeting up with you, that's the fun part. So our product is one for where when I receive that email, I can simply just reply back. Like I have a human assistant say, you know what? Yeah, we should meet up. I have CC'd in Amy, and she can help put something on my calendar while you're here. I click send. My assistant, which is a machine, will read that email and see what did 
Dennis just asked me to do, remove me from the conversation, <laughs> reach out to you, and have this very human-like back and forth with you on exactly when it should be, understand what's concluded, and upon conclusion, send us an invite. And again, it's super easy to kind of imagine that, hey, if I could afford it, I'll pay $60,000 in Manhattan and hire a human assistant, Tom, and he can work my calendar for me. But that's a luxury that really very few can afford. But what if you only paid $8 for it? Then it's just not a luxury. Then it's really just a piece of software that comes along with all the other things that you have to kind of make your workday kind of end up a little bit more positive than before. So that's us. Oh, that's uh, the last uh, four and a half years of my life right there. Yeah, and it's interesting. I really like hearing your tone of voice because it's, it's kind of clear you're passionate about this. Actually, it's quite clear you're passionate about this. Um, and I've actually used Amy before. Uh, I think when we first met, I signed up shortly after I got the – we had the first interview, and – it ended up that um, I, I definitely liked it. It was so nice to be like, hey, I'll have my assistant uh, schedule this for you. And then people were like, oh, assistant. And I suddenly seemed more important, which was kind of awesome. Um, and, and not just that, but it, it also freed up my life to be more convenient, more, more focused on my passions. Because on the Renaissance Man podcast, we talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about making a, a life that's um, – that's passionate and that frees yourself to have more time for the things that you enjoy, uh, frees yourself to have more money, et cetera. And this is a tool that I think is really passionate. Uh, but not only that, I remember a couple of things from our other interview about some ways that you incorporate passion uh, into your life. And I remember you saying that you, you, um, you integrate your family life and your work life in a way. And uh, could you talk more about that? Sure. So there's certainly two schools of thought, right? There's the assumed idea that it's by far best to separate your work life and your personal life. And if they overlap, you somehow failed or you're failing one or the other. And I'm not so sure that that is the only way to look at it. So I have a different perspective, which is that you should not try to separate the two, as in if you're even trying to separate the two, you might be suggesting that one is better or worse than the other, and I must make sure to kind of prioritize one over the other. And if that is the case, you might actually just have either a shitty job and or a shitty personal life. And perhaps if one of those two things are true, you should optimize on that instead of trying to separate the two. So my setting has always been one for where I would not sit here and try to figure out which bucket each of my activities belong to. I live one life and I want it to be a good one. So I mix them together. And the way you can do that is not just to say, ah, I mix them together, which is some sort of justification for me working long hours and not really <laughs> uh, being at home. That would be stupid. But it's one for where if they are indeed one, that means... We have shared goals. And in that setting, that means I'm very eager to bring my wife, kids, and family to work, not as visitors, but as active participants. Because I certainly don't want to go to work and pitch all day long, sell people as hard as I can to see what I see, then come home a little bit tired, and then 
have to start over again, justifying why did you do the hours? Why can't you come to this particular thing next week? And so on and so forth. I said, that shouldn't be a battle. That should be immediately understood that, oh, we've done these things together. So I, I get it why you need to go to this thing on the West Coast. And I said, I was there. I saw it. And there's no really other outcome. So I bring them in for really kind of intimate things, meaning I've brought my daughters to pitch meetings with venture capitalists, which is actually a good little hack because if I go back and think about some of these settings, there'll be <laughs> a set of VCs. Then at that point in time, years, years back, they're growing older now, some sort of seven-year-old little girl with you know pen and paper taking notes and then me kind of <laughs> trying to pitch some venture. And they will be kind of confused as in, Dennis is either really fucking cocky or <laughs> stupid. And I'm not sure what it is. And as they're trying to figure that out, what is she writing down? What notes is she taking? She's writing when I'm saying something. Can I see in her notebook? So the whole thing just kind of worked in my favor. <laughs> they were slightly Threw baffled by, yeah, what is going on here? But you know, that's just a good little story. But just in of general, I, I really bring them in. And I run through whether that is a presentation or if I do a talk, I invite them to it. Or if I have to travel, certainly now when my kids are getting older, I can bring my wife and we can kind of do a two-day trip and uh, that's that. And it turns into kind of a mini kind of good work experience and a dinner at night. And uh, she can kind of go see me, pitch my business and vice versa. So it just works quite well. And I never felt... I've had to kind of start selling all over again at 8 p.m. to 11 p.m., uh, uh -huh. which is just not right. No, no, and I love that. It's it's very similar to another concept that I like to talk about, which is making life like a soup. Um, it, it's it's like it, is your life an ice tray where everything's separate, or is it like ramen, like a soup where in ramen you have this amazing little like hard boiled egg that's steeped in pork juice and then you have the seaweed and and the udon noodles and the broth and and they're all they're all different things but they're all harmonizing with each other in the same bowl and uh that's the way i like to describe it and it seems like that's exactly how you live your life having a life of of integration where things harmonize with each other rather than being separate and i think that's a good analogy and when you do do that which i highly recommend make sure that you don't do it as some sort of excuse for where you can now allow yourself to prioritize things that are not as important over other things that are even more important. You do it because it is a fair backdrop of how you want to live your life. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be at that uh, PTA meeting at the school with your kids, or it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go and pitch your business on the West Coast because you can't be away for more than two days. You just need to kind of look at, you know, all of the kind of elements and say, what kind of life do I want to live? It's certainly not one for where I never see my family. and certainly not one for where I'm never at the office. So what life do I want to live here? And out of that, I think, comes just an honest representation of who you are. And then you're course correct, right? If you kind of tilt more to one side, in one week, and then you just tilt it uh, back uh, to the other side the next coming week.
Yeah, yeah, it, uh, that's really true. And it also helps you have more time in your day to figure out things. If you integrate a couple of things together, then you have more time to do something else that you're passionate about. And that's actually uh, leads right into one of my next questions was, uh, before our other interview, I had gotten together a joke question. I think I told you that it was a joke question afterwards, but I didn't expect your answer. Your answer was quite uh, quite informative. Um, and I asked you what your favorite cereal was, just expecting it to be a funny little short thing. But you had a long explanation about uh, a habit that you have that frees up some time in your day. And I'm curious if you could reiterate that. So I am one part entrepreneur and one part cereal connoisseur. And I certainly eat way too much cereal. But what it does do to me is create freedom to not mull over what do I need to eat right now. So I probably eat one box a day. And you should see my fresh direct orders here in New York, which is, you know, 30 some boxes, you know, a meter and a half high yeah. if I kind of stack them on each other. But I don't. I'm sure, your daughters mind. love making forts out of them. <laughs> yes, and uh, what I do do though is uh, I have this you know bowl in the morning, bowl in the afternoon, and bowl before I go to bed, and it's just part of my little uh, ritual. And most people have this. Oh, Dennis, you must hate it by now. I can see how you squeeze out a few extra minutes in your life by doing so. But it's not about squeezing out the few extra minutes, which is lovely. I'm very happy that I get a few extra minutes, but I actually just don't mind. Of course, then there's a whole long discussion we can have about, you know, which ones you should lean into and so on and so forth. But it's one of those where, not just with cereal, if you can find a few things where you can somehow apply a process to the decision so you don't have to decide over and over again. Some people do it on what they wear. Some people do it on the way they commute. And some people like me do it on uh, what they eat uh, at 8 a.m. and what they eat at 11 p.m. But I think it's actually the same optimization process for where some people just don't want to spend half an hour in the morning in front of the mirror trying to figure out what to wear. They just have, and I'm putting this in air quotes, some sort of uniform they put on. Okay, sneakers, jeans, t-shirt, I take the one at the top and I spend three minutes on it. And then there's others where it's just other elements they optimize on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's all to, to allow yourself to focus on other things. And you said something about how it, it takes a decision away from yourself. And I'm curious what you mean, what, what, what the value of that is for you. It, it's, is, is that take energy for you to decide or, or what is, what is the purpose of that? So I am, there must be some sort of finite amount of decisions you and I can make during the day. As in, that's not infinite. So there's only so many decisions you and I can make. And there's probably mm. some sort of curve where at some inflection point, the decisions we start to make are not as good as they could be. So given mm -hmm. that there's only a certain amount of decisions you and I can make, and certainly in most entrepreneurial settings, your whole job is just to make decisions, good and bad ones. So I try really to kind of free up my mind 
so that I don't spend clock cycles on tiny decisions where there's no impact. And that means I do things other people might think are silly. Like I run inbox zero, not mm -hmm. necessarily because of the uh, glory of being at two emails in my inbox as I walked into this chat with you, but it's not the fact that it's an inbox zero kind of regime. It's the fact that when it is at zero, then I have a completely free mind. As in, I can walk into this chat with you knowing that there's no other task on my plate. I can just focus on talking to you. And I'm just such a fan of trying to create these settings for where anything which I do, I can be as much in the moment as possible. And whatever two or three decisions I need to kind of take, there's no half dozen latent decisions back in my head that I'm also trying to make at the same time. So that is uh, something I try to implement in many places, whether that's with my little kind of serial regime or my inbox serial regime or any number of other things. It's the way to clear your mind to do more of the stuff that you want to do and not have so much distraction. It, exactly. And it's very easy to say, oh, I would like some time to think. Okay, I get it. Me too. So tell me, what have you tried to do to create room for you to think? And that is not necessarily as easy as it sounds because to create room to think, that is not just you walking into some room where there's no other individual and you kind of uh, turning off your phone. It is somehow to create room in your mind to go explore. Some people can... Uh, meditate for half an hour in the morning and uh, create space for them to think more clearly uh, mm -hmm. come during the day and that's fine we all have our own little tactics but i think you do at least uh, or you should at least allow yourself to think through what have i done to try to create some room to think and we have different uh, tactics so I can't do the uh, half an hour of meditation in the morning. So I tend to do other things such as remove some of these decision points. That means or suggest at least I have more room to dis make decisions during the day. And then, for example, over the weekend, um, I live on Wall Street. So I'll take the subway all the way up to the other end of Manhattan and uh, no iPhone, no music, no nothing just me and my sneakers, and I'll walk back, and it'll take me two and a half hours or three hours. And it's mostly just to kind of say, everything that happened during the week, let me see if I can somehow uh, put everything into the right boxes. And I, it's not like I have any particular agenda. I'm just trying to kind of, you know, clean up a little bit in my mind. And uh, over two and a half hours or three hours, you can clean up a lot in your mind if you just kind of, have no agenda outside of just having to walk the uh, 13 miles back to your apartment. Yeah, I remember you you saying the same thing in the other interview. It's kind of interesting how consistent you are, and I think that's part of uh, the, the compounding effect that it's had um, with your business and with, with the places that you've been. Um, I'm curious about something. I remember there's another concept. I actually went ahead and wrote a whole article about this last time. Uh, you shared with 
with uh, with me something about charisma, and, and I I think I asked a question because I was um, I was looking at some self improvement stuff at the time, and I was like, how how did you learn um, this sense of charisma? And you said something about how it had nothing to do with you learning these skills, and and how it was it was more of 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 uh, and a, a symptom of the fact that you're passionate and genuine about your passion, and I'm curious um, curious about that. So there's, there's certainly the idea, I think, and perhaps I'm even just making this up, but that doesn't matter if I believe it. This concept for where some set of people live in a world for where their level of happiness is the outcome of a set of interactions that's happened during the day, during the week, or during the month. And then there's another set of people for where perhaps your level of happiness isn't determined by a set of outcomes. It's just a state of mind and you can choose to be happy. As in, you and me kind of, if you think about it, where we live, given the opportunities we have, we kind of won the lottery already. And forget about whether you made $8 or $13 live in one city over another, had an exit, did not have one, doesn't even matter. You and me kind of conceptually kind of won that lottery already. So we should choose to be happy. And if you choose to be happy, I think you're just on a good path. So that's certainly one way to think about it. And, and I try very actively just to choose to be happy as in this really a lot of friction that needs to happen before I am less happy. And I accept all of the kind of risks that comes along with, say, doing tech ventures where the most likely outcome is that we're not going to make it. We might one day not make payroll. The whole thing might just explode uh, in our face. And that's fine. But then uh, I also think if, if that's kind of your outset, there's some value in finding a set of things that you really believe in. And it doesn't have to be these kind of, kind of grand ideas from you know, religion and down. It could be little simple things that you believe in. It could be your venture, your product, your market, a set of customers, your team, even little things, because if you truly believe in them and you're willing to spend the time and energy in kind of pushing them forward, that is very hard to fake. As in, you can fake many things in life, uh, and some people might not even notice. But the one thing that is certainly very difficult to fake is true and honest enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. As in, oh, yeah. you can tell people, yeah, I'm very excited about this, but it is almost impossible to kind of tell people that you're excited about something and not show whether you truly are. As in, that shows. You can, you can feel when people are being authentic. And I'm just a fan of picking some of these small things and be kind of enthusiastic about them. And especially if you start a venture, you do it really mostly because of the journey, not because of the, the money, because there's probably not going to be any come the end of it. So you do it because <laughs> of the journey. So you're, you're, you should be excited about the journey. And uh, mm -hmm. I think most people are, and they can 
They can see that from afar. And you know as well, there's nothing more uh, pleasant than being around people who care, right? The worst is yeah. to be around oh, people definitely. who don't care. Uh, so how are things? I hate my job. How are things? I hate my girlfriend. How are things? Uh, I can't pay off my debt. Okay. Um, we could work on that, but there's just not nice people to be around. And if you're friends, you should really work to kind of turn that whole thing around. But it is much more invigorating to be around people where, how's life? Life? Life's fucking awesome. Let me tell you two stories over the last kind of 30 days. And you get roped into those stories almost to the extent where, hey, how can I join that? I, I also want to experience some of those stories. And that's how you can both hire people for your team, sell your next customer, get some investor, because why wouldn't you want to be part of some joyful kind of set of uh, stories? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like people like being around excited people. And it's also something that I thought was really silly when it comes to a lot of the self-improvement stuff. It's like, oh, how do you attract people? Well, you look and pretend that you're passionate and happy, but you don't really need to be. You just need to put your shoulders back and speak in a really loud and clear voice and don't say, um, but the thing is all those things are just symptoms of being passionate about what you're talking about. And you take any really unconfident, say you take somebody who's, who's really unconfident, has no friends, but plays World of Warcraft all the time. You ask them to play about, to talk about, say, uh, friends, they'll be like, oh, I don't like people. They don't like me. And I have a really sad social life, but you ask them to talk about World of Warcraft, like, oh my God, yesterday went on a raid and it was amazing. Did you hear about this new sword? And it won't necessarily be something you're passionate about, but they're super passionate about it and they completely change. Um, and that just shows how, how important uh, just being genuine and honest and having with yourself and having a, a life, a passionate life, life is, not just going through the motions. A life worth living. And mm -hmm. I don't think we should really judge what a life worth living in, living is on behalf of others. And if some people take great joy in spending three hours on some particular game, do you know what? Go do it, man. Live mm. a good life. Find some friends in that community. Some of them might even be virtual. Some of them, some of them might even one day be real life friends, you might actually meet up at that conference. And it, that is a wonderful path. But I'd much rather you be on that path for where you're happy versus some other path that, that you and me kind of came up with. No, uh -huh. you be you. And I'd much yeah. rather kind of listen to you on your passions, even if I don't get it. And we'll even have a laugh about it. I said, hey, I didn't even understand half the words you said, but damn, it sounds exciting, right? I said, yeah. And that's okay, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's all about figuring out the passions for you. I mean, for me, I'm a huge fan of DIY and crafting, but I know some people who are like, I hate picking up paintbrushes or I hate going to a wood shop because I can't make shit and I don't like it. And, you know, that's totally cool. And you might, and that other person might love sushi and I hate sushi, but the fact that you have this relationship with your, with whatever it is, it's almost like a symbiotic relationship, like like a circuit. Like when you do something, you're you're putting energy into it, and it gives you some sort of fulfillment and energy back. And that's that's what I call passion. And it's hard to define it, but it's definitely this symbiosis with your environment.
Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Uh, so I wanted to ask you if you have anything to share with the audience, anything that you want to say uh, yourself, either about X.AI or about passion or about living an integrated lifestyle, uh, anything at all. So here's the geek in me and leaning into what we just talked about. So this is my World of Warcraft story, given that I don't play the game, but on a different level. So okay. most people will have some memory of, if they're of a certain age, that the whole compute age really started on the command line. I said, I took my CS degree on the command line, and that was the only way to access computers. And mm -hmm. that is one UI paradigm, as in one way to kind of get a user interface and extract value from that. Then a little bit later, we got the graphical user interface, as in you could install Windows and uh, you could have applications for where even your mom now could get access to compute. It took a little bit of education, but hey, she could work that uh, desktop computer. And then thereafter, Perhaps a good decade ago, we got the mobile phone and the mobile UI and that whole kind of touch interface was probably a distinct UI paradigm in its own right. And whether you agree with those three paradigms, you might have four in your mind or you think uh, there's only really two. That's not the point. The point is that we might at this very moment be in the cusp of seeing a new UI paradigm. And we can call that the conversational UI. This whole idea that you can just talk to your computer in natural language, and we might just finally fully democratize access to compute for where you need no education. What you need is just a set of good questions, and then you can get access to compute. And you would have seen this in the form of an Alexa or a Google Home, or Amy and Andrew, our intelligent agents that can schedule meetings. But this is the very beginning of some new revolution for where you will have to escape that mobile phone. I think this is not the end. It'll be something else. And that is arriving fast. And that I find super kind of interesting because this happens so rarely. And you probably only will see it one or twice in your life. And we are just now about to see it. And that is something where I would encourage people just for the fun of it to spend a little bit more time with uh, your Amazon Alexa or spend a little bit more time with Siri just for the fun of it and try to really think about, hey, what is going on here? How am I interfacing with my computer now? And how awesome would it be if I could also ask about this? And mm -hmm. that I think is a uh, just a baby step into the future, a little bit ahead of time before all your friends arrive there. Now, having said that, if you then also want to see what can happen inside this new UI paradigm, because when you have natural language, you can move away from software that just does tasks for you, like uh, summing up a column in Excel, to software that can understand objectives and work the whole job for you. Then I would encourage, and this is where my complete bias will be out in the open. Go sign up for X.AI on the website. There's free trial, no credit card, and all of that good stuff. And see how it is to ask a machine to do a job for you. Just ask Amy to set up 
a cup of coffee with you and your college buddy in three weeks from now. Just that kind of moment of, damn, I actually conceptually have an employee right now, which I can ask to do only this one task. But then imagine, what if I had 11 others that could do 11 other little tasks? What would my work life look like? As in, of all the shit I do at work, if all of that kind of disappeared, so I could just focus on what they hired me to do, what would that look like? And that is, uh, yeah, a, a version of the future which you can go kind of experiment with as we speak. So half pitch over, half kind of excitement about what's about to happen over the next kind of half decade. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to throw you a bone here. When our interview was, uh, it was during, I met Stephanie during Propellify. I actually sat next to her when you were on stage in your talk. And I, and we, we had a short chat, which is how we connect and exchange business cards and all that jazz. And that was, I believe, June or July of 2016. And that was before anybody really had an Alexa. I mean, like one or two people might have, but I don't even think it was, I think it was just released or like it was released a few months later. So you, you were ahead of the ball game and you were already talking about your product, which was out at that time. Um, so I, I just wanted to throw you a bone there because you think about this a lot. You didn't just ride on, on the wave that already happened. You were part of the pioneer of that wave uh, before it happened. We certainly tried to kind of catch the wave at, as it was about to assemble. And uh, I would like to believe without patting ourselves too much on the back and uh, appreciate the kind of shout out that sure. we saw it early and got a little bit of a head start. And then, of course, mm -hmm. the way that works is you don't want to be so early that you spend all your money uh, ahead of time. You don't want to be so late that uh, all of the good ideas are taken. So you're trying to kind of hit that wave just perfectly. And I think we're, mm -hmm. we're in good form. Cool, cool. Oh, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll uh, I'll I'll send this to you when it's all done. This was uh, time well spent. <laughs> Much appreciated. Uh, so I'm gonna stop recording right now, but please keep your phone on or your yep. computer or whatever, so that it uploads and all that jazz. I got all the instructions. Awesome. Sounds see perfect. Here.